Hello, Declan, and welcome to our podcast today. How are you, Declan? I'm well, Erkin, and how are you? You well? Very well. I'm enjoying the, the weather here and doing a bit of gardening and you know, getting back to nature. Did you kill all those slugs? Uh, I'm, I'm in the process of it, yeah. I'm in the, I'm in the process of my battle with the slugs. You don't have any slugs up in Fermanagh, though, are you? Slug-free zone. Uh, oh, there's plenty. I don't, I, they don't bother me, though. I, I, I live and let live. <laughs> You're a pacifist. <laughs> That's it, yeah, yeah. So the title of today's podcast is North Looks South and South Looks North. Deck, what's that about? Well, I suppose uh, we're going to start with her memories of, for example, myself here in Fermanagh whenever I crossed the border to go south and likewise for yourself for whenever you, you came up north Yeah. And the, and the differences possibly that you would have noticed. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. So, I mean, you actually have relatives in the south, don't you? You have relatives in Galway. I do, yes. That's right. So I would have been down in Galway on holidays a few times, yeah. And what was your, like, could you, what kind of, what was your first memory of going down to Galway and crossing the border? That would have been later on, I suppose. My earliest memories really would have been family days out to Donegal, to Mindoran and Rosnella. Okay. They're, they'd, be, um, they'd be popular uh, locations for Fermanagh people. Well, they would be. Fermanagh thrown a lot of people would, uh, would head down there, you know, in the hot weather. So apart from the beaches, because obviously the beaches are an attraction for people in the north who don't have many beaches unless they're up in the north coast. What was the attraction f- of Donegal, you reckon? Was it, it more was, than just beaches? It was basically two parents with a house f- full of five kids who wanted to take them out for the day to let them burn off some energy so that they wouldn't <laughs> cause their parents to go insane. I would suggest, Lurk. Yeah, well, probably that makes sense. What, what, what the situation was. That makes sense. Yeah. So well, just my memories of, of going across the border, those would have been coming down to the police and army checkpoints and the Sangers on the border there yeah. where you, the traffic would have to queue up Yeah. and you might get stopped and searched and my father would have to get out and, you know, and open the boot and they would check underneath the car and, and all that sort of thing and mm. uh, then you would carry on and you would come to the Garda checkpoint and he'd be leaning over the maybe over the gate and he'd be just go on ahead there lads totally <laughs> different relaxed attitude compared to the, the multiple British soldiers police machine guns barbed wire scary stuff uh, for a kid bags. scary stuff yeah. for a kid you know going to the seaside yes that's right and uh, then the juxtaposition of that totally low key when you get to, to the other side yeah i suppose another memory of going south would have been to ulster finals okay clonus for the big uh, football matches so yeah i think maybe a better explain the football here is gaelic football yeah. as opposed to soccer but we call it soccer uh, football is gaelic football and so you go to clonus in county yeah Cavan. so so yeah like my father would have been big into the gaelic football so he uh, he would have taken us down to ulster finals uh, now I'm a Fermanagh man, so Fermanagh didn't get to play in too many Ulster finals. That's, I was just going to say that. I was trying to be polite. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. But I do have a strong memory of 1982 was like uh, basically the first time that I remember Fermanagh making an Ulster final. And uh, I would have been down a few times before that with my father as well. But the bridge on the border was, was blown up by the British Army at the time. So it was trying to stop some cross-border activity. Right. So did that not put put people off going across the border? This whole process of not, having to get searched. Not, and stuff? not, not really. What a lot of what you would do is you'd park up just and then uh, uh, there was like a wee footbridge to cross over it. But there was other people would have known where local farmers would have made wee dirt tracks, you know, <laughs> skirting around the border. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So that facility possibly was there as well. But I remember just the droves of people in the green and white, and we're playing our man in the final in the orange and white, streaming up this little back road to border, heading towards Clonus. You had to work about four mile in into 
yeah. to the pitch. But it was just the buzz was great and excitement. And of course we lost, but uh, <laughs> it was still great. Well, you remember it, obviously. Do f- yes, that would have been a, another occasion when when I've been heading down south. So the um, the fact that like the Ulster finals are are they always are they they're nearly always held in Clonus. There would always have been held in Clonus. Now Clonus is a border town, Lurk, but it's in the south, of course. It's in the south, so it's just in, in County Monaghan. And at one stage, Clonus would have been a thriving town. Yeah. Coming up to a partition, it would have been, it had canal there. And I think the railroads maybe went right. through it as well. So it would have been a thriving. And once once partition took place, basically the, it, it, the, its whole hinterland, which was uh, Fermanagh, yeah. was closed off. Okay. And had a huge effect on the town, which even to this day, it still would be recovering. Yeah, from yeah, yeah. sort of. But I suppose it's got a big stadium then, hasn't it? So that's why they hold the. It has the Turnix Park. That's right. Yeah. Yes, you, you're you know you're talking with thirty, between thirty and forty thousand at uh, Ulster final matches there. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so what about later on then, after, you say, going down as far as Galway? Because you were still in Ulster, really. So you're, you're, you're a day trip away from home. Yeah, yeah. well, with the, I would have been down a few times down to Galway where I went down instead of a cousin my same age there, so I would have went down and stayed in, in Galway. You know, when I was that young that I probably wasn't aware of the troubles yeah. uh, up here, so I uh, wasn't really conscious of it. It was only really, I suppose, when I had become around about 12 that I really remember have a consciousness consciousness of, of the troubles existing. For example, when I was 12, the hunger strikes were on, okay. which would have been a, a period of, of heightened tension. Yeah. I suppose maybe I need to explain what the troubles are. Mm-hmm. Lurk. So the, I'm very much a child of the Troubles. I grew up in 1970, yeah. but the Troubles would have started in 68, 69. Mm-hmm. They lasted uh, about three decades and they finished in 1998. And basically it's a, the Troubles are our little disagreement here. <laughs> it's a conflict between Northern Nationalists who are largely looked to the South uh, to become part of the United Ireland, where the Unionists, largely the Protestant background, they look to remain part of the United Kingdom. So that, that's what the Troubles are. So the Troubles were more than just troubling, weren't they? They were... It was a heightened degree of violence involved too. There was a lot of people lost their lives and were injured. There was there was about three thousand people. I have an exact figure, but you're talking about three thousand people who, who lost their life. Now in Fermanagh, it was 112 people lost lost their lives in the troubles here. A couple of the big events would have been there was 1972. There was a pitchfork murder, murders in Newton Butler. Those were Jesus. The, the British Army killed two men, and they were called the pitchfork murder, murders. But actually, it was a boy knife used by one of the soldiers to, to, to kill the two guys. Uh, they had the Derry Yard uh, checkpoint attack, which is in Rosley, that left two British Army soldiers dead when the IRA at- attacked the the border checkpoint. Of course, the Inniskillen bombing, which occurred in 1987, mm. uh, that left uh, 11 people dead and 63 injured. And I remember actually being out with my father, and I was herding cows as as so many of my memories are of being young herding cows <laughs> and hearing the bomb because we're about just you about heard it. over yeah about 10 Jesus. miles from from Inniskillen and I remember that morning you know hearing the explosion wow I didn't realise you heard it yeah yeah. that must have been some bomb then that you, you heard it from your because you yeah. know you're not you're you're not that far from Inniskillen but you're not close I mean you're not right yeah. beside it yeah but in terms of experience of violence here in my childhood it, it wouldn't have been too bad to be honest for man it was relatively bad. untouched wasn't it Yes. Relatively. Yes. Compared to France from Belfast, and it would have been a whole different experience up yeah. there, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, because yeah. the two communities were cheek by jowl. Fermanagh would be uh, predominantly a Catholic area, uh, 
Belfast would be more the two sides rubbing up against each other. And been their, their experiences yeah. would have been a lot more consciousness of, of the violence and the bombings and the shootings. Yeah, well, I mean, but, for us... But, for but us, I'm conscious also, Lurkin, you know, if, if, if you're chatting to a Protestant fellow of the same age as myself, his experience of the Troubles would have been totally different as well, you know? His experience possibly would be of, you know, IRA attacks on members of his family or his community. Mm. So this, you know, I'm just sort of giving my experience of, of, course, of the yeah. Troubles. And they probably he probably wouldn't have been crossing the border as often. Unlikely. Very unlikely, mm. yeah. So th- that's kind of an interesting thing, though, that, that Northern Catholics, Northern Nationalists are drawn to the South. I mean, for example, in and the, during the 12th, which is the, the 12th of July, where Loyalists commemorate the Battle of the Boyne. So it's a, it's a big Loyalists, Unionists holiday. Northern Nationalists get out, don't they? They get out of Northern Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, that's, and, that's and, not that norm- and most of them go, you know, to, go I, South. Yeah, absolutely, and a lot, a lot of people go south, but also a lot. Like I would have lived in Belfast at one stage, and basically you got out of Belfast. Yeah, you just got out of it, you know, mm. and back home, or or maybe like you say, you could take some holidays down south. But so, what sense is? I'm kind of interested in this idea. In what sense is the south a kind of a refuge for northern nationalists? Do you know what I mean by that? Well, I suppose. Well, let me just. Take it from the other angle, you know, I suppose a sense of, of being in Northern Ireland is that we are part of, but we don't belong to, if that makes sense. We're, we are in Northern Ireland, but we don't we don't belong to, we don't feel allegiance to. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. That, and we would look to the, and I suppose it's maybe a romanticised view of, you know, United Ireland, this wonderful, uh, yeah. all, all problem solving, you know. Exactly. Uh, not seeing the, heaven-like not- state. <laughs> Not seeing the warts, the warts that are that exactly, exist as well exactly, on, on, the, yes, on yes. the face of of the republic. Of course, yeah, yeah. What, what about your perception of you know when were you? I said I was around about twelve that I sort of became aware of, of the troubles. When would you have become aware? It's a good troubles? idea. Uh, good question. I'd say probably later because in the south there we we're in Sligo. We we're connected to Northern Ireland. We're thirty miles from the border maybe 20 miles, 30 kilometers. But it still feels like a different world down here. You're very detached from the north, even though we're close. So I'd say it was there in the background, but I remember the north, for us, the north meant two things, actually. It meant two things when you were a kid. It meant cheap stuff, because we'd go to Enniskill and buy stuff you couldn't get in Sligo and, and it would be cheaper, because there would, there would be like British shops and, and British chains and stuff there, and you can go there and people would buy drink and they'd buy petrol and they'd buy all kinds all kinds of things kids toys and all kinds of stuff so it was shopping and it was also a bit of fear so civilization lurk you're saying civilization yeah well possibly yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was part of that yeah 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 yeah. that That old running water one that we talked about in episode one okay i get you yeah yeah. (laughs) but but i do remember actually i was going to monaghan and apparently um that time visiting some family in monaghan yeah we had to cross the border twice to get to monaghan i think we had to go via fermanagh and I was uh, I was pretty young and I was kind of terrified of crossing the border because I'd, I'd heard vague stories of gorillas in, in the... These were... The stories I heard were of, like, terrorist gorillas. The G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A. These gorillas. But I thought they were actually... gorillas. Well, that's what I was expecting. I was expecting actual big black gorillas hanging off the trees. So, but I was pretty young then. That's that's what I was expecting to see when I went north on that particular trip. I think that was the first time I remember ever going. 
but it, it was just it was that sense of something a strange place that n- no one really understood or knew what was going on and it was it was something that was going on there behind the curtain we didn't really understand very well so there was definitely that, you know, that sense of difference definitely yeah. a strong sense that this was a different place not not like where we were from at all I would say. Well, you know, that's given me a memory too of going down south. For some reason, I've got a memory of, is it chef sauce? Uh Uh-huh. Chef brown sauce. We're used to HP sauce up here, you know, (laughs) and there's no comparison to our HP so by far superior. But I remember being down south, you know, maybe having a breakfast down there and getting the the chef sauce. And what is this stuff? (laughs) You're disgusted with the brown sauce. (laughs) Absolutely. And the potato crisps, of course. And the, the bread was different as well, all those little things, yeah. Yeah, it was funny that the little things could be so different, like just yeah, 20, right. 30 miles down the road, 50 miles down the road. Yeah, yeah so I mean, I, then I went up to, I, where we met, of course, was in Coleraine, in the University of Ulster in Coleraine, right on the northern tip of the island in County Derry, Derry Antrim border there. And myself and like huge numbers of people from Sligo went to university in the north at that time in 1989. And that was in the middle of the Troubles, you know. It's actually kind of extraordinary that so many of us, because I think the, the official figure in Coleraine was that 25% of the student population were from the south in Coleraine. But wasn't there a reason for that, Lord? Oh yeah, fees, money. Yeah. Money. Yeah. Sponging up here, coming up sponging That's of it. us. That's it. We were we were massively we were massively jealous of because you all got most of you got grants and and, and a lot That's of you right. got very big. I mean, you were getting grants that we could have only dreamed of. So we were all jealous of you guys and, and your grants and, and your we're free fees and everything. very lucky to get those grants, look, because we were the sort of the last to get those grants. You know, shortly after that, that whole that's all disappeared. Yeah, you were, and but you were that, extremely lucky because you were you were pretty comfortable, I think, as students. Well, you know, once you had the jacuzzi there and cigars, <laughs> you know, look, one get used to a certain lifestyle. Yes, you did. You you got accustomed to a, a certain level of of living. Yeah. So what's amazing is that during, even during the Troubles, hordes of people crossed the border to go to university in the north. Hordes of Southerners went, went up there. There was loads in Queens. There was loads in yeah. Jordanstown as well. So that's the draw of the free fees because, of course, we would have had to pay fees uh, down here and we had completely free education up the north. So the, the Troubles obviously didn't stop people crossing the border for education, which is kind of amazing, I, I think, when you look back on it. There wasn't really, didn't seem to be any fear of it. But I definitely remember going up there and thinking, yeah, this is this feels like a foreign country, definitely. Especially in Coleraine, I suppose. Yeah, well, Col- even for me as well, like, uh, coming from Fermanagh, Coleraine would be more from sort of a Protestant, uh, a larger Protestant community up there. So the sort yeah. of the trappings, etc., would be more mm. prominent than, than even would have been with Fermanagh, uh, you know. Yeah, that's. I mean, I can see that. But even just the, I mean, just the architecture, the way the, the towns were laid out, stuff like that. Just the shops, the different, all of this felt like it was, I, I would say that it's, it feels Brit. the infrastructure feels British and the landscape feels Irish. You know, you kind of, you're moving through the landscape, it looks like Ireland. You get to towns or cities, it looks like Britain. These look like British cities or British towns, the way they're laid out, the way they're built. Just the very up and down, red straightforward, red brick, modern kind of architecture. And then, of course, all the RUC, the RUC, what were the RUC stations, centres, the barbed wire and everything. All this is very, very, it was very foreign to somebody who was 18, travelling up, you know, living in the north in, in 1989. 
just felt like a you know it was close to our home but it felt like a foreign place foreign country but at university in Korean you know I think all our students really we were place apart you never this sort of the troubles bypassed us really didn't they Lurk well that's you know true. there wasn't there no, wasn't that, that much true, violence up along there yeah well, that's my memory of it anyway you know you almost dropped out of it and just you know you were busy being that's a true young it was a little person, bubble yeah, wasn't a good it time. that's true but it, it was still it was still a sense of you know a lot of different accents it was different different money i suppose everybody seemed a little bit more worldly wise than we did i think a lot of the southerners were a little bit naive when we went up we we soon, These were a year younger than us though we were a year younger as well that's true yeah because when we left school out a year a year before you did so i think that probably made a difference too so, so but it was a co- you saying that we introduced you to sex and drugs and uh, rock and roll and alcohol. Yeah, you're, you're to blame. Yeah. The, the, those blame. And you just haven't yeah. looked back. <laughs> now you look at the state, you have a wonderful education. liberal state now as a result. Maybe that was it. Maybe it spread down from the that's north. That's what it was. So that's, that's kind of my, uh, and I don't think that's really changed for me. It's still, when I go to Belfast, for example, because my brother lives in Belfast now, and I still feel Belfast, I don't know how, what you, you, you lived in Belfast for a while, didn't you? To me, it feels like a British city. I went to Manchester recently for the first time a couple of years ago. And I was thinking, yeah, this looks like Belfast, you know, it's kind of an industrial, it has a, an industrial kind of feel to it. Yeah, well, um, well, at one stage, Belfast would have been the biggest industrial city on the island of Ireland, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, back, yeah, yeah. it would have been, if the mills, etc., the shipbuilding, it would have been, you know, the re- there is a very much a sense of red brick buildings there that you would get in northern cities, uh, like Manchester yeah. as well, you know. So I, I would agree with you when I, when I would get that same sort of sense that there is a continuity there when it would have been, say, in Manchester as opposed to Belfast, yeah. Yeah, and th- so that's it's the feeling as well. It's this hybrid place where, yeah, if you look at the landscape, it looks Irish and you go into the urban centres they look British yeah. and certainly up there around Craigavon and Lisburn and Ballymena these are all these places don't look like Irish towns at all What's Irish towns look like? Well I mean that's a good question I don't, I don't know if I can even describe it maybe it's a feeling rather than, than a look Well I would but there is a, I would possibly say that there'd be maybe two shops in between the 44 pubs Yeah maybe that's <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, the 20, and the 20 churches The 20 the churches, churches that's right yeah yeah <laughs> They, certainly when we were kids, the roads were always better in the north. Yeah, that's, and, and you know, that's not and ironically, I would say now. now that it's nearly the reverse. It's, 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 it's not 100% true yeah. now, yeah. So I was, as I was saying, that I picked up little bits and pieces from the internet about general attitudes towards northerners, attitudes to the south, southerners to the north, stuff like that. And there was one article that in the Irish Times where people, people from the north were brought down to the south. People who'd never been south were brought down to the south and people... In the south, who'd never been north, were taken north. They were given a chance to see what you know life was like in the different different parts of the island. And one group who had never been south were saying, "Well, so why have you never come south before?" And you, they they said the roads used to be rubbish. People in the north always saw the south as a poor country. So why would you go there? You'd want to take your holiday somewhere nicer and not somewhere where a Mars bar cost more than five pounds. So it was big Mars Mars bar was important, obviously. But that was obviously the view, certainly among unionists towards the south wasn't it that used to be the case i'm sure it probably still is in some pockets well there was just i would say among unionism there would have been a definite willingness not to go down south to actively not go down south yeah uh, to not in any way support it i think that's changed lurkin but certainly when i'd have been younger you'd have got that sense that you know they were would not well the troubles were going on and that would have been seen as the enemy i suppose yeah the hostile state that's right yeah 
Yeah, well, I mean, something else then I read is on this site called Quora. And the question was, what do Northern Irish people think of people from the Republic? There was one man who was from a unionist background and he wrote, for the majority of unionists, the Republic is probably closer to them than the rest of the UK. The prevailing view is that we're brothers and there's more that, that unites us than divides us. Which I kind of found difficult to believe. What do you think about that? This is from a unionist perspective. The, tr- the truth is that it, it, he's probably correct, I think. Certainly nowadays. Yeah. You know, I the, the difference between been... us uh, now is uh, declined, I, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, certainly the perception in the past would have been that it would have been, as Churchill said, a, a priest-ridden society. Uh-huh. And he was probably... Well, and it, and and it, he was and probably was. right. And it was, absolutely. And it was. It was. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that sort of argument now is no longer available you know, to the unionist politicians because it's clear that the, the Catholic Church's control has been broken and it's now irrelevant, yeah. really, down south, isn't it? What, 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 I would, what I would find fascinating is I, I wonder if the, the recent two referendums, the one on abortion, one on same-sex marriage, that were, that were passed overwhelmingly in the south, which is an indication that there's no, that the, the Catholic domination of the south is pretty much a thing of the past. I wonder has that changed unionists' view of the south, in fact, even nationalist view of the south, I would say it has changed the Unionist view of, of the South. But you've got to remember here that religion has lost its power up here as well, Lurk. You know? It's probably... Yeah. you got to remember that there's a majority here in favour of same-sex marriage as well. You know? And that it, that uh-huh. that was stopped because of there was a clause that allowed it not to be passed when it was being decided in Stormont, you know. I would see mm. no difference really in the worldview now in terms of same-sex marriage, abortion, all those sort of things really between North and South. I think there's a majority here as well for... for but that, for that didn't used to be the case, did it? I mean, in the North used to be much more liberal than the South. Yes, it probably was... Yes, in terms of contraceptives and, and, and th- yeah. things like that there, that's right. Yeah. There was a famous um, event or, or, or trip in the 70s, or, or protest, I think, where groups of feminists used to go up on the train to, to Belfast, bike contraceptives and come back down on the train and show them off in Connolly Station. Yeah. Blow them when up, blow it, them it up into when, balloons. <laughs> yeah, something like that, when they were illegal in the South. That's right, yeah. So it kind of, the, the North used to be seen as this more liberal outlet on the, on the island. A kind of a, a, a way to, or a part of the island where you could escape the, the constriction of the religious dominance in the south. So that was another view of the north as well. It was more a freer area. But again, that's changed too. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably reversed now, Lurk, has it? Possibly, yeah. Dick, I wanted to mention one thing that I also came across in a number of different places. And there's two different quotes here. The first one was from a GA website. So, of course, that's the Gaelic Games from North and South. It's a, Obviously, it's a, an all-island. And there was one thread here that people were discussing. And one, one guy from the North was saying, the most resentful thing I have against Southerners is that there hasn't been an acknowledgement that they abandon us. So this is one thing that I've heard a couple of times. This feeling of abandonment among Northern nationalists. Especially around partition and then even since partition through the 50s and the 60s when there was gerrymandering and discrimination against nationalists in the north. I think a lot of nationalists felt that. They felt this abandonment from the south. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think certainly in in 22 there would have been a strong sense of being abandoned without question. But truth is real politic in that I was listening to a podcast today about the battle of uh, Belique and Padigo. Just I think it was 1921 where there was a hundred 
uh, IRA men launched an attack. It was to take to take control. This is during the War of Independence. Uh, it was it was towards I think the end of it. I think the Civil right. War had actually was breaking out, Lurkin. Okay. So I think the the War of Independence was over. The partition being negotiated, and it was just in this sort of in between period where Civil War was kicking off, and they mm. they occupied Patigo and Blake. But yeah, basically Churchill got involved, and he. So they got the British Army got involved. It was the first use of artillery since 1916. They also used aeroplanes. I think there was okay. two IRA men killed. So I think that really goes to define that the South had no choice. They they had to. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that, they, at that they time, hadn't, they, they were, the South was exhausted. Well, they just the, they'd come out of a, a you're right a, a war for independence and they'd gone into a civil war. So hmm, you know yeah. that took up energies which. And I don't think there was a political will there either to launch a northern offensive, although the northern offensive was, was sort of half-heartedly tried. There's, there's a lot of uh, discussion around why it wasn't pushed harder, but for political reasons, potentially, it suited possibly people. But the, re- the reality is that there was never going to be a chance, that, really, that the new state, like you say, had the energy to take on mm. unionism, uh, which had the backing of the British and were prepared to use all the modern... And, the, and uh, they had guns too, didn't they? The, yes, the, that's right. The, the Unionists were, were armed in the North. Yeah, there was specials, the, the, you know, there was the, the police force and uh, specials as well. British Army would have been there in sport, like uh, I've given you the instance there of Pedigo and, and, and Balik. So there was never a reality that they could not have abandoned the Irish uh, yeah. Catholics at, at that stage. Well, I think it's... But I think it's more as well since then, isn't it? I think well, there's there's a sense, certainly ar- uh, around the time of the, certainly in the 50s, you get into gerrymandering, you get into discrimination against Catholics for housing, for work, things like that. Well, I think possibly, particularly at the start of the Troubles, where you had the attacks like in Bombay Street, where the Catholics were getting burned out and there was a huge movement uh, of Catholics to down towards Dundalk. Yeah, and yeah. there was a sense. Yeah, there were there were refugees basically. There were they? refugees. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. there would have been a sense then that you know the public didn't intervene. Um, but there was also you know that was also an accusation laid against the IRA at the time. Yeah. I ran away. That they didn't mm-hmm. stand up, and and although there ironically there was some of some of the men IRA men who had been involved in the 1920s and who would have come down south to prepare for this northern offensive were men actually that were in their 70s and still yeah. on the streets trying to prevent the the burning down of, of Catholic Gary. So there's a continuity from men being in the IRA for the 20s, and here they here they are in the late 60s out again. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, what's interesting is today. I think it's today or tomorrow. It's the anniversary of the arms trial. You know, the arms trial is in the nineteen in nineteen seventy. So it was when two southern politicians, it was Charlie Hawhey and Neil Blaney. They it was during that time when Catholics were being burnt out from their houses and they were they were being discriminated against. And Hawhey and Blaney, well, the what they were tried for, they were actually arrested and tried for the crime of importing arms to send to northern nationalists to defend themselves in the north. These are two southern politicians trying to, well, this is what they were, this is what the story was, that they had tried to import arms for, allegedly. But they weren't, to, they, I know, but they were doing that. Unof- to arm the north. Uh, they were doing that unofficially, Lurk, weren't they? They weren't, that was yeah. like an official southern government even. Oh yeah, well that's that's why they were tried for it. Yeah. 
Now, they were acquitted as well. They were acquitted for, of that charge. So, you know, what what exactly happened, no one That's really right. knows there 100%. There is a lot of... And who knew what at that time as well? Yeah, exactly. No no one knows clearly. But So that is an example of... I mean, Northern Nationalists would... Some would say that the South abandoned them. But, you know, there was always this cross-border effort. There was always this awareness of the plight of Northern Nationalists to a certain extent. And... Bellaney and Hoy probably, probably took it to another level or, or possibly took it to another level. We don't know. Yeah, well, I'm sure unionists would, would also say that there was a lack of support with the security forces down south in terms of working against the IRA. You know, they would make that accusation. But I think if you were possibly talking to members of the security forces at that time in the early 70s and that, they were aware also that the British uh, security forces were passing information to loyalists. And they, they were aware. Yeah. It's turned out now that basically, you know, without British intelligence and special branch support, would the loyalists have been able to maintain the campaign that, that they did, you know? Yeah. It's clear now that it sort of was certainly given direction, I would say. Mm. But the Irish, Irish uh, the, at that time, the, uh, the Irish Guard on the, on the border not were reluctant to pass on information to the police now because they knew that's what was going on so they didn't you know, they weren't keen mm. sharing information yeah. you know yeah well that's, so there's, there's lots of stuff there I mean that's a complex web of, of stuff going on there but it is a kind of an interesting idea that when northern nationalists some northern nationalists look south they see I think as you said they see a kind of a romanticised version of Ireland as well that you know a place where our, our, our home from home that should be our home but also there's a certain amount of resentment as well. A little bit of resentment that, you know, you don't really take us seriously. And some of it's justified, I think. I mean, there's just from looking at these various corners of the internet, you have comments like from this man here. He says, "I'm a, as a Southern Irishman, I cannot stand the place. He's talking about the North. Put a wall around it and let's, let them stew in their own poison. So there's this attitude. Now, this is not a, a common attitude in the South, but it's you, you do hear it. You have heard it right through the last 40 years of the Troubles and, and even until recently. You hear this dismissal of the North from some certain people in the South, which well, is probably, I think, it comes from it comes from ignorance. It comes from impatience. It comes from never having been, been to the North. You know, what that's triggered with me is this renewed interest politically in the south, in Northern Ireland, uh, from the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael solely, it would appear to me, to prevent the rise of Sinn Féin. So a sudden interest uh-huh. in making statements about you know, United Ireland and all, and suddenly have a renewed interest in that, solely just to uh-huh. counter the attraction of Sinn Féin. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's something that that's I don't know you were. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely, real politics. Because now this is sudden. Yeah. You know, uh, this is something that's been going on this last ten years. So we're Sinn Féin now have suddenly become a political threat, and and yeah. suddenly now we have to sort of give an alternative for people that was just not Sinn Féin. Don't pick up all those sort of uh, people of that viewpoint that we are also mm. an interest in this. You know, so, yeah. so, so having no interest for a long period of time. Well, what, well what, they're trying to do that. They're trying to do that across the board. They're they're also picking up a few of the Sinn Fein's economic policies in terms of making sure that people don't get don't suffer austerity like happened t- say ten years ago. And that's a Sinn Fein thing as well. They're picking up the green policies as well because the Greens have done well. So this is kind of what these parties yeah, do. That's, they, it's just politics. They, yeah, yeah, they bend with the wind, don't they? Yeah. And they they go with whatever wind is blowing. They that's they right. go that way. Yeah, so just a, a, from a personal point of view, Dak, how do you feel when you cross the border? Can you well, put it, can you can you express it? Well, it's it's there is no border now. That may change with this whole uh-huh. Brexit thing, but for the last twenty years, a little bit longer, 
there has been no visible sign on the border. You know, the, the checkpoints are away. So, you, especially in Fermanagh, you know, you're, you, you could be, if you're going from one end of Fermanagh to the other, you could be in and out across the border two or three times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it, it just meanders along. But, geo, but I mean, there is no border, but, but, but actually there is as well. Because if you go down to, you come down to Sligo, for example, you're using euros. You're seeing kilometers on the roads. These are small That's things, right. maybe unimportant. But you're hearing southern accents. There's no Union Jacks anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is it a relief? That's, I suppose that's what I'm asking. No, Is it a relief no. in some way? No, no, not not anymore. No. Okay. Like like it would have been a relief, I'd say, in the past, maybe. It would have been during the Troubles, yeah. You, yeah. Been, you know, a lot of nationalists would have said there'd have been a sense of freedom, maybe to express, you know, their nationality, which mm. maybe would have been repressed in the North. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Well, I mean, that's that sounds like you have integrated a little bit in what whatever the northern state is now. What do you think? Well, well, you know, northern Catholics, I don't think had any choice, Lurk. Yeah. You had to. Yeah. You know, what was the alternative? Emigrate, mm. you know? Yeah. So that makes sense. there was no real choice, you know? One other thing, one other quote here I'll read you from Joe Brawley, who's uh, somebody you, you would have followed. You'd you be a fan of Joe Brawley? I would know of uh, Joe, yes. He's a controversial and interesting character, I think. Complex. Yes, indeed. So Joe Brawley, is, he used to be a Gaelic footballer. He's now a Gaelic football commentator. So he's a, and a social commentator, really. I think he's a, he's a solicitor as well, isn't he? So he's quite an educated person. But he says, culturally, we're no, we are no doubt slightly different. He's talking about Northerners and Southerners. In a way, Northern Gales are more ferocious about our Irishness because we had to fight harder for it. I would say you probably identify with that, too. Yeah, I, I think so. That just is common sense, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. It's the same as the Irish going to New York. You know, they stuck together, didn't they? And the Irish was still a very important thing to them. So it's, yeah. it's no different than up north here, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, that makes sense. But anything more to add? Uh, what's the email address, Lurk, that people can uh, write in and tell us how wrong we are? Oh, yes, indeed. So it's northandsouthpodcast at gmail.com. North and South Podcast at gmail.com. We also have a blog, northandsouthpodcast.blogspot.com. So our blog is there too. Yeah, and we, we want more than just Lurkin's mother <laughs> sending an email this week. <laughs> All welcome, not not just our families. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, Deck, it was a pleasure, as always, Likewise. to, to, uh, to share, share your wisdom. Likewise, Lurk, as always, fun. And I look forward to going up north again soon. Because it's actually just talking about it. it's given me a taste for crossing the border and, and traveling a bit. Yeah, and I look forward to going down to visit you, and you'll take me to that. Where's where's that beach with the Spanish ship? Oh yes, Strida. You, you'll take me there. Yes, indeed, that's worth visiting. They have a museum now and everything. Oh, excellent. We'll do that. That's that's an a good stuff. It's an appointment. So good. I think we've resolved that little issue anyway. Then the difference between north and south. That's that sorted. Well done again, Deck. <laughs> well done, Mark. So we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much for listening and good night.